This is episode 19 of Twig's SE Reflections. This is a podcast series meant for SE students and practitioners and other therapists out there studying the psychobiology literature and somatic healing arts. My name is Anthony Twig Wheeler. I'm the producer and voice that you're hearing from this show. I'm a practitioner, consultant, occasional workshop presenter. I talk with people. These are off-the-top reflections and thoughts, things that I think about when I'm doing or penetrating into why it is somatic experiencing works, works for me. I'm into it. I hope other people are too. I clearly see that other people are too. This is just one more thing to add to the culture. Today we're talking about patter. Chatty chatty. One of the great things about being human is learning from other people. The fact that we're able to observe the behaviors and activities of other folk, even take in their information that they share with us, but also just to watch them do it. And we're able to incorporate that same kind of capacity in ourselves. Skill apprehension, apprehending skills, taking in skills in humans is so much about watching other people who have similar skills that we want to learn. And one way to keep an interesting life going is to observe people in their skill sets, even when you don't necessarily think that that's a skill that you're going to develop yourself. Even when you don't know that someday down the road, you're going to want to be able to do something like that. Just appreciating somebody when they can do something and trying to maybe, you know, open yourself up to the idea of thinking or imagining the world from their perspective when they have that skill it could just be both enriching for ourselves and also make it easier to reference that skill set or that that sense of capacity later in our lives when we might ourselves come into a similar or different even kind of context that we want to have some kind of skill base like that now i have one of these things that is very specific to what i do these days as a somatic experiencing practitioner and it actually started back when I was 11 years old. When I was 11 years old, I had a childhood friend, a really dear, wonderful fella. And he, he got keen and, and into the idea of doing magic, like doing sleight of hand and, and card tricks and these kind of things. And, and I got into this with him and we would present these little home shows to family and friends. And, and he, was, he was very good. He was very, very good at it. Now, I was into the performance and into parts of it, and I had just ever so slightly a difficult time with certain elements of pulling off the magic trick. And one thing that helped my friend become extremely good at this was that he had access to really keen language where he could do what in magic they call patter. Patter. Now, lots of communication styles use patter, uh, salespeople often use patter. Car salespeople are particularly known for this. Auctioneer folks, folks who are selling off cattle and a big group of folks listening real fast. They're talking really fast. What is patter? Patter is used as a way of having a prepared speech, knowing precisely or pretty much precisely exactly what you're going to say. And in having the prepared speech, you're able to lean the attention of your listeners in particular directions so as to influence where their attention goes. 
Sometimes it's used simply as a way to fill in the moments between more important pieces of information. Sometimes, as in magic, it's meant to help both direct the the inside or the innards of the show that's happening so as you know what you're to be paying attention to but also to be distracting you by actually having to process and pay attention to what the magician is saying my childhood friend danny ray thompson who happens to be a like world-class professional magician to this day he he was very good at this kind of way of holding people's attention and saying things that fit in with the trick, saying things that he knew he was to say in order to help people's attention go in one way or another so that we were never any wiser for what it is that he was doing. Some of his things, I I still wonder, how did he do that? Now, I wasn't any good at patter. I was always trying to come up with some original way to say things. And in doing that, I regularly just got lost in trying to explain the trick. That's fine, because I didn't go on to be a professional magician. I, I kind of went on with the rest of my life, yeah? And in my life of always looking for authenticity and this desire to communicate in the now, I was maybe somewhat antagonistic even to the idea that people in their professions use patter, even use patter to be helpful or healthful or entertaining, not just to try to, you know, confuse and steal your attention or direct it towards something that's beneficial for them. It's true. People use patter in lots of different ways, not only sinister ones. Well, I didn't expect this to happen, but it definitely has come to pass that as an SE practitioner, I do patter on a regular basis. I have prepared speeches, prepared lines, prepared mm, pieces of information that at particular times in my sessions, I will bring those out. Now, it's a full thing in a way because I know what I'm going to say and I have the sense that what I'm going to say fits what this person needs to hear or gives me a way to structure what I have to say so that I can try to get this piece of information or this type of activity over to my client. At the same time, having a prepared speech takes a lot of the the vitality and interest and significance of I am here with you out of it. So it's really important when I'm presenting my patter to my clients that that I even actually let go of some of the idea that I'm saying something that I already know what I'm going to say, but certainly that I let the reality of my contact with who this person is, their pacing, their timing, what we've already said so that I can reference that inside of pieces of my prepared speech so that it feels more true to just them. It's true. It is true to just them. And I am doing a job. And part of my job is to know how to direct and redirect people's attention. Well, I'll tell you, there's a pattern that I used for many years so as to introduce somatic experiencing and the kind of the different activities or things we might do in a session so as to quote do somatic experiencing and I thought hey I should just share this pattern with you so here I'll tell you about this I use a different pattern most often these days but for several years I tried to make a broad introduction to the different activities that we do in SE or the different ways we kind of engage SE 
And in doing that patter, I was both giving my clients the opportunity to have that information, and I was also doing my best to help direct their attention toward the places in our early sessions where I thought we would be most successful. And rather than try to figure that out every time, I just came up with a storyline of how to make this explanation. And it goes, it goes just like this. You know, um, Twig, I'm interested in trying to help you with those things. And, and with this somatic experiencing stuff that we've been talking about, maybe trying to use to help with those issues, I was thinking maybe I could give you a little explanation or maybe a little like invitation on how we might enter into that process that we call somatic experiencing. Let's imagine there's like a room and in that room we do this thing called SE, somatic experiencing. And, and in that room, you know, what we're mostly, we could say what we're trying to do is help the body and the brain to communicate better so that activities of our body and our brain, our physiology, that are trying to work on our behalf can be more successful. It's a kind of way of helping the body to do actually what it's already trying to do. Turns out what it's trying to do right now is a bit confused and consequently, you know, we could say, oh, that's maybe part of the reason why you're experiencing some of those symptoms. So there's this room. In that room, we get to do somatic experiencing. Now to get into that room, we could say that there's like three different doors. I don't know, maybe there's more, but I generally think of it as like we've got three different doors to get in there. Door number one, it's a, it's a series of experiments, exercises. The, this, the, this work, this kind of way of attending to our experience and our, our healing and everything was, was cultivated, developed by this man, Peter Levine, who's a scientist really, much more than a therapist in his early work, he was a scientist. And so when he came into the scientific information about how this kind of attention could help our bodies negotiate stress and work better, he, he came up with a series of experiments that are kind of in a way meant to both give us information about how things are working now and also to help direct things into the right direction so that we're you know more or less starting off in the right direction together. We've got a shared language. We've been able to get things moving in the right way. So there's this room, this door, excuse me, there's this door of experiments, these practices that we just kind of like start getting things moving in the right direction. Then there's door number two. Now that's the symptom door. Sometimes, you know, we have things that happen over and over again. They repeat themselves. It's like the same kind of stomach ache or the same kind of headache or the same kind of thought or this image keeps coming every day. That symptom is often something of an intelligent doorway that we can enter into the process of whereby we can help the body, help the nervous system see more of what it's trying to do so as to maybe relieve the, the repetitive nature of that symptom. Door number two, the symptom door. Door number three, it's like the story door. You know, people have things that have happened to them, a, you know, an event, um, the story of these things that happened. And that story door can often provide a structure to help us see where we we feel off and where we feel unsettled by the things that have happened to us, which often then leads to this room where we can do, quote, somatic experiencing. There's the story door, door number three. 
the symptom door, door number two. Admittedly, I'll say that that one is a little bit like going straight into the problem, which sometimes feels like exactly what we want to do, but it could also be that that's that's maybe a little bit more challenging than we want at first. But in any case, there's the symptom door. And then there's door number one. Door number one, that experiments door that that scientist guy, Peter Levine, came up with. And other people have added to them. And, and what we get out of that is just this this sense of these little things that we're doing in order to test the, how things are going inside and, and to see, you know, oh, get things moving in the right direction. And uh, so as I lay those out, you know, door number three, the story door, door number two, the symptom door, door number one, the experiments door, kind of like get things moving in the right direction kind of thing. Do any of those right now as we're chatting here, do any of those seem like more attractive or more interesting to you than another? So now that's the pattern. Now I got to tell you, it just must sound so contrived right here. I mean, I, I feel contrived while I tell you it. It often feels contrived when I'm doing it. Except that, in fact, I make a sincere practice of trying not to feel contrived while I'm doing it so that it has that authenticity that I really feel is necessary in our sessions. And I am being authentic. At the same time, there's no question. I am trying to direct people's attention. Now, can you guess which, which door I'd like you to go through? Right, of course. I'd like you to go through door number one, right? The one that's going to get things moving in the right direction. The one that's got the scientists behind it. Um, the one that's just about helping us to get new information. Sure, so when I'm laying out the pattern, do I start with the one I want you to choose? Do I end with the one I want you to choose? Yeah, so I go door number one, it gets more emphasis. Door number two, door number three. Door number three, door number two. Door number two might get a little cautionary tale there. Oh, this could be the harder door. I'm not sure if I'm going to say that all the time, but could be that I say it sometimes. Back to door number one. Then when I'm offering over the opportunity to choose, which is the entire point of making this option, which is that they can choose. I want my clients to be able to choose in my space as much as they can. So I'm making this offer. Rather than just telling them we're going to do door number one, I'm giving them the choices for door number one, door number two, and door number three. At the same time, I'm definitely working it backwards when I go back to giving them that choice. So any of those three more interesting to you, like door number three, the story door, or door number two, the symptom door, or door number one, you know, this experiments thing, kind of get things moving along in the right direction. Any of those three more interesting to you right now than the other? Do I ever change this pattern? Sure, yeah, you know, I might I might shorten it up. I might lengthen it out. Would I lengthen it out? Well, you know, it's like I might actually be using this patter in order to hold a person's attention out from other problems or things that we might be needing to talk about or that they feel that we need to talk about. I might very well be making this three-door option a gigantic 10-minute long introduction where at the end, of course, it's turned back over to the autonomy to get to choose. But in that 10 minutes, I was focused on helping the person focus on me rather than what very well might for folks that are having a more challenged time be consuming their attention otherwise. Now, of course, you probably don't need me to say you're not trying to do that in such a way that you annoy people that you make it obvious that you're providing a speech, that you make it obvious that you're trying to direct their attention to door number one, you really do, I really do, need to, you know, adjust this patter, 
this pattern toward the individual that I'm sitting with and having that structure in place so I know more or less what I plan to say makes it a lot easier for me to actually attend to as I'm talking to them. Are they looking at me and listening or are they caught by their own distress and they're just waiting for me to end or gives me the opportunity to watch as I'm speaking to them how they breathe or how they respond to the ups and downs of my prosody and my voice. I might also be looking to see how much orientation they're giving me. Are they looking at me? Are they looking out the window? When I finally come around to the question, which of these three are more interesting to you? Are they tied into the fact that I'm leading up to a question so that they're paying attention the entire time? Or are they snapping back to the sense that this is a question and by doing so it gives me some evidence that I actually need to be holding their attention just a little bit further out. Now does it ever come out to that place where I wish they wouldn't choose door number three and I gave them the choice for door number three and really they need to do door number one? Yeah that happens and under the most extreme conditions I, I give door number three and then Oh, right. Well, let's go ahead and try this little experiment first. I might very well pull that over if I need to go back over to door number one as a directive. At the same time, usually I find that the truth is if you lay these out for people, if they run into door number three and they just have to tell you the story, then you probably need to go there in the story with them. Now, would you want to do all of the somatic experience investigation when you go inside of there? No, probably not. Not until you have some shared skills, not until you know that they can kind of ride the sense of tracking their activation. If they're headlong into harm by wanting to tell you the story first before you have any shared contact around what actually happens in that space where we're, quote, doing somatic experiencing, no, you probably just want to like, oh, tell me next. Oh, what happened next? Oh, tell me more. And probably just getting through the storyline at first before you then start incorporating more of the activities and attentional states that we cultivate inside the actual SE session. Symptom door. Yeah, you know, people tell you it's really helpful if you can go right through the symptom door. Now, would I want to do it with somebody who hasn't had much practice? And no, probably not. At the same time, yeah, you know, like, Newton's law. Go where the money is. Medical doctors use that, right? We can too. We don't have to come up with lots of other things when the symptom is trying to lead us right to the thing that's trying to happen next. Now, without enough pendulation going into that, it's not going to be successful. So oftentimes we got to get things moving in the right direction first, unless you've already seen evidence that this person can kind of ride those differences and ride those waves and oscillate, pendulate, all that goodness. Symptom door is a perfectly valid place to go, and it should come along with some kind of caution for yourself, which is, in the sense of this pattern, actually not to be named as much as to be influenced over toward that door number one will probably set us up in the right direction more. But then again, the whole point of laying out the choice is that we don't want to say that even too directly. There are other patterns that I use. I guess so. It just turns out that I say a lot of the same kind of lines over and over again. Now, patter kind of reaches just a little bit past saying a line, and it's more about the the speech level of things where you're you're stretching time out and calling a person's attention over time. There are lots of places, going into freeze, coming out of freeze, ending a session, opening a session, lots of places that I do that, lots of places that you're probably doing something similar. Thinking about 
you know, maintaining a certain amount of client autonomy, even while you are, as I sometimes say, manipulating attention. Maintaining or thinking about those things in your patter is probably a helpful thing, particularly because once you have a certain amount of structure to your patter, you can pay attention to other things like how your client is breathing as they're listening to you. I'm going to just thank my childhood friend. He is uh, really good at this. I was really bad at this. Eventually, I saw in my SE training that some of my teachers were doing similar kinds of things, and I would need to come up with some of these phrases and patterns myself and get good at delivering them as though they were for the first time. And I'm sure you're working on some of these kind of things yourself, so I thought I'd share little observations about it. Okay, you feel free to use my pattern there if you like. One I just did, three doors, you can use that, you modify it, you walk around your office and repeat it six times and then never use it again. You just leave it here on the recording and somebody else uses it sometimes. Whatever. What I have to say to you is your observation of other people doing awesome creative things is at the forefront of you getting to do your own. Let's enjoy learning from others. Learn from other folks? What a great idea. Who doesn't want to do more of that? Well, you know, it could think, you could think, that I know what I'm going to say here in this closing to episode 19, Twig's SE Reflections, and I got to tell you, I don't. No, you know, most things I don't plan out. I'm kind of an improv kind of guy like that. I do know that I've wanted to be saying thank you to so many of you who have been sending me kudos and props and high fives. Got some lovely emails, a couple that were really, really warm and heartfelt. One, one person even sent me a check in the mail. It was huge. Get up, get up. I love this stuff. Get up, get up. Thank you. <laughs>